This is The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Good morning, it's John Moore, and this is The Breakfast Wrap for Monday, March 27th. The forecast for today, not a great one. Rain at times mixed with wet snow, but that should come to an end around the lunch hour. And the high today will be plus 4 degrees. Here are the five things you need to know. Number one, the city reaches a breaking point with the murder of a 16-year-old. Number two, another person randomly stabbed on the TTC this morning. Number three, doctors decry the end of health care for the uninsured. Number four, Canada-U.S. refugee deal. Yeah, it's actually a year old. And number five, millennials are swimming in debt. The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Four degrees outside, but that doesn't rule out the chance of some wet snow at some point this morning. We're going to have precipitation. It's going to be a mixture of rain and possibly snow, so not the most pleasant situation. I have to think that this city is reaching, if we haven't already reached it, a certain breaking point when it comes to random violence. And... I can't think of anything more outrageous, more heartbreaking, more disturbing, and more, I mean, frustrating is not the word. I'll have to go over the numbers, but I'm beginning to think the leading cause of violent death in Toronto is random attacks on the transit system. And we had another one on the weekend, leaving a 16-year-old boy, Gabriel Magalhães, dead. His mom lets him out on a Saturday night, as you would a 16-year-old, trusts that he's going to be okay, he's going to get on the TTC, and he's going to go to wherever it is he's going, and then he'll be home at whatever time was set, and he'll tuck himself into bed, have a Sunday, go back to school on Monday. But instead, he's sitting on a bench at the Kiel station, and some random person stabs him three times in the chest. People sound the alarm, the paramedics respond, they treat him at the scene, they transport him to hospital, and he dies. Later on that same night, police arrest a 22-year-old homeless man named Jordan O'Brien Tobin and charge him with first-degree murder. And I'm pretty sure that we will discover shortly that this is a person with mental health issues. It is certainly a person who is listed on the police charge as a person of no fixed address, homeless. And I, I just, I look at this and I mean, honestly, Joe, in, in, can put the list together, it shouldn't take too long, of the number of people who have been attacked, injured and murdered on the TTC and in our city in the last four months. And it's ridiculous. It's absolutely staggering. And in this case, uh, Richard Warnica writes a profile. Edward Jan, also a part of this, and uh, this is in the Toronto Star. Uh, Driti Gupta, it's a three-person, they, they worked it, and they paint this tragic but beautiful um, picture of a mother who, you know, sent her 16-year-old son out on a Saturday night, and then when she couldn't reach him on the cell phone, she's a nurse, actually, at Mount Sinai, when she couldn't reach him on his cell phone, and that's the lifeline that every parent has now for every kid more or less eight and over, uh, 
When she couldn't reach him and she had heard that there had been somebody stabbed at the Kiel station, she feared the worst. But she went home. She left the front door unlocked in case he had forgot his key. And then she lay awake looking at her phone constantly, hoping that it was going to ring and her son was going to say, I'm okay. And then there was a knock at the door and it was detectives from the Toronto Police Service there to inform her that her son was dead. And when I say I think the city may be reaching a breaking point, this is, it is an untenable situation that cannot continue. And if the solution is we need better mental health, we need more social workers, we need shelters, that's great. But that's a one to five year solution. And if it's that we've got to redeploy those police officers and extra security guards, then bring it on. But I also think long term, we need a very serious discussion about decisions we made in the 1990s about the fact that people could not be, people who were a violent threat to society could not be held if they didn't want to be held. held. And I realize that takes us back to the era of one flew over the cuckoo's nest, but we're living in it right now on our streets. It's, ju it's not safe. What parent is going to put their kid on the TTC on a Saturday night anymore? What person is not going to think twice about finding, you know, a lease on a really cheap car rather than putting themselves on the TTC and constantly having to look over their shoulder to see if somebody's coming to get them? It's going to play in the mayor's race. I think it's probably going to play best for the former police chief, although as he and I discussed when he was here launching his campaign, I said, you haven't, you haven't not been the chief for very long. So if our streets are out of control and violent, then, you know, you were the police chief. So it's not like everything came undone after you were the police chief. Um, but there is, there is something going on right now, and we've talked about it numerous times. Um, but in the last six months, this city has come unhinged. And, you know, Joe Cristiano texts me on Friday morning when I'm in Ottawa to tell me once again at our parking lot, somebody's taken a dump on the staircase. And, you know, a week before that, somebody had taken a dump and then you know, smoothed it all over the doors of both entrances. And now I'm not convinced that the random piles I see along the walk from the garage to the station are not dog anymore. Yeah, those those I mean, it's either a very big dog or, you know, it's human. So, you know, if I'm sounding uh, frustrated and maybe even angry this morning and spending a lot of the beginning of the show on this rather than a bunch of other stories, it's because something has got to give. And I don't necessarily know what it is because this is a split of, I'm trying to remember who I was talking, I guess it was John Tory when he was still mayor and I was complaining about all this stuff. And he got a little short on me, but he said, why don't you take this up with the provincial government because mental health is their issue. And you're right, okay, so both governments Let's get it on and let's do something. But this situation, you know, it can't hold. And a 16-year-old boy is at a funeral home. His mother has lost her son. 
His younger brother has lost his brother. His schoolmates today will probably get that usual business of we have social workers and psychologists available to you if you want. This should never have happened. And it is part, it is not some random pattern anymore. I mean, when you have this many people who have been murdered and somebody was attacked with a broken bottle not long ago, that is, there is no other word. It's outrageous and it's also unacceptable. All right, time to say good Monday morning to News Talk 1010's John Moore. John, good to see you again. Uh, we start with a string of TTC news. The first one, very shocking and disturbing. A teenager is now dead after an unprovoked stabbing at a Toronto subway station. I believe this was Keel Station, and it happened on Saturday. This happened on Saturday. 16-year-old boy minding his own business, sitting on a bench at Keel Station. A man comes up to him, stabs him three times in the chest. Paramedics were called. He was rushed to the hospital, but he died. And I honestly think this is, I don't necessarily want to say a turning point, but I think Torontonians are going to put their mm -hmm. foot down today and say something has got to change here. Um, the man who was arrested, 22 years old, homeless, and in all likelihood suffering from mental health issues. But I mean, this has just gone in a string of attacks mm -hmm. on our, uh, I mean, on our streets, but effectively um, almost always on the TTC. And for one thing, I don't think anybody's going to want to take the TTC anymore. Yeah. Meanwhile, we have another stabbing that happened again aboard a TTC bus. This happened late last night, early this morning. A man was stabbed on the Keel bus at Keel and Donald. Uh, was taken to hospital with serious injuries. The suspect fled the scene. Mm, okay. Yeah, very disturbing indeed. And John, uh, staying with the TTC, and this probably ties into all of this, uh, uh, some service changes uh, to nearly 40 TTC routes. I believe there's uh, some kind of protest going on today as well to demand uh, more changes in the upcoming federal budget. These changes took effect yesterday. 37 daytime bus, streetcar and subway routes, two overnight bus routes also included here. On lines two and four, the TTC is adjusting subway service mm -hmm. at all times of day. We're in a real pinch here because only 67% of the pre-pandemic ridership has returned. However, if you start cutting services, then people are going to use it even less. And the worst part in all of this, and we discussed this last week, most of the routes that have service cuts are routes that service underprivileged neighbors. Neighborhoods. Mm. Okay, and turning to this, John, uh, the U.S. and Canada, apparently they kept the migrant crossing at Roxham Road, uh, the deal, a secret to avoid a rush at the border. They claim that this was to ensure an orderly transition. Yeah, there was such a fuss on Friday when it was announced during Joe Biden's visit to Ottawa that they were going to be closing Roxham Road, and they did so at midnight, as a matter of fact. There was an uh, OPP and RCMP officers on the scene at midnight on Friday telling people, you cannot come into Canada anymore. But as it turns out, this deal was actually made a year ago. A lot of people would say, well, great, 40,000 people have crossed at Roxham Road since then. What were you waiting for? The problem is you may come to a deal, mm -hmm. but then it's got to go to the lawyers and the civil service in order to figure out how to implement it. And as you mentioned, the fear was that if they said they had a deal, then people would rush mm. to the border in incredible numbers to try and get across before it closed. Mm. Okay. And uh, according to an insolvency trustee who's been kind of tracking all of this, uh, he says that millennial Canadians have been dealt a generational losing hand that's layered in a lot of debt. 
I've always called this the velvet rope syndrome. Everybody remembers what it was like to arrive at a nightclub, and then just as you got to the front door, they would put the velvet rope in place and you could not go in. That's what's happening mm. to millennials. Boomers did okay. They collected on all kinds of things. But there's this sort of perfect storm that is looming, uh, not looming, actually, that is taking effect on uh, millennials. They still have their university debt, even if they're in their 40s now. Um, they're not getting the benefits that a lot of other people had. And now interest rates are going up. So, yeah, a guy who handles people's bankruptcies says 50% of the people who are approaching him are between the ages of 26 and 41, even though they only represent 27% of the population. Yeah, not an easy time to be young, uh, John. And we always finish with something that's either related to, well, well I've been keeping track. Sometimes it's uh, dogs, baseball, or news from Florida. Uh, but this <laughs> is an interesting story, John. An Italian museum, uh, the Florence Museum, is inviting a U.S. school after the principal was pressured to resign for showing uh, a picture of the Statue of David, which, of course, we know is fully nude. This is a principal at a charter school with a Christian underpinning, and as part of an art class for grade sixers who are 11 years old, she showed the statue of David. Three parents complained, and she was sacked. She's actually the principal of the school. Mm -hmm. So now the academy, which is the official residence of the statue of David, is offering the parents, the kids, and the principal a trip to Italy and to Florence in order to see the statue firsthand. I mean, the wider issue is how people can possibly object to mm. you know, a work of art. But right now, the culture wars in the States are completely nuts. Yeah, and the mayor of Florence saying, you know, confusing art with pornography is ridiculous. So uh, we'll see if they take, uh, take up this offer to go. Very interesting stuff. News Talk 1010's John Moore. Have a great show, John. We'll chat with you again tomorrow. Jennifer Shang, our friend over at CP24. And yeah, just more confirmation. It came up a couple of times in conversations I was having when I was in Ottawa. The... The roiling debate in the states, the, the, the kickback and, and the ridiculous preoccupation with drag queens and trans people and gay people and now, you know, the statue of David. Um, it just, you wonder, I mean, nations go through spasms of puritanism. We banned booze at one point in a self-righteous and um, heavy-handed attempt to try and impose a certain social order that only suited a certain number of people. But now, you know, a, a guy who wants to be president of the United States is probably going to run on stuff like this. So um, let's, I spent a lot of time on that stabbing, but I think we need to have a conversation about that. And the people who run this city and have any amount of ability to ameliorate whatever problem it is that we're in the middle of, uh, they need to talk. And I think there has to be urgency to this. Maybe, you know, it's time for the mayor and the premier to agree on an emergency meeting with the, um, the you know, the mental health minister, the chief of police, but this has got to come to an end. There are a lot of other stories to talk about today as well, though. So we're going to start digging more deeply into those after we do the half-hour headlines and a check on traffic. Lisa Morales just signaling that she's starting to see some rain on some of her cameras. We are expecting rain. There is a possibility of some freezing rain and snow, but, you know, we're sitting at four degrees, so that could end up being highly regional. 
Uh, and once the sun comes up, I guess it comes off the table. But Lisa says, on some of my cameras through parts of Milton, Mississauga right now, seeing some rain. It's not going to be a big deal. But I will say, um, I had to, because my flight was canceled, I had to hop in the car and hie myself on Thursday to Ottawa because I didn't want to miss the window where I could collect the ticket so that I could go and see the president speak in the Commons on Friday. And it was outside of snowstorms, one of the worst weather conditions I've ever driven through. I mean, we had fog, very heavy rain, and then all the water coming up off of all the vehicles in front. And then there was a huge wreck, which turned out to be a fatal. Um, but then coming back on Saturday, we had the same rainstorm all over again as I approached Toronto. It was nuts. Anyway, it's not going to be like that. And I guess, you know, that rain is the beginning of spring, but it was uh, freakish to be driving in. So a lot of things happen on Friday at Queen's Park. There was one of those dumps of policy where they made a fairly significant change that we'll talk about on the show today. But effectively, a program that was brought in to allow for health care to be offered to people who don't have insurance because of the pandemic, um, that program is coming to an end. And quite a few doctors are sounding the alarm over that. I'm a bit mixed on that, and I'll explain that a little later in the show. Because... You know, there are people without insurance, but not all of them are destitute. Some of them are just people who neglected to buy it. You're listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. 5.36 is the time. It's a Monday morning after another weekend of violence, and in particular, this cold-blooded, purposeless, meaningless, uh, un an unprovoked murder of a 16-year-old at Kiel subway station. Looking forward to hearing what Scott Reed has to say. I imagine there may be somewhat visceral reaction for him. He's the father of, uh, you know, I was going to say a group, but I think he's got four young boys. Um, and, you know, I think for any parent in this city, I mean, you worry about your kids. And then we get into discussions about how we worry too much. You know, couldn't an eight-year-old ride on the subway or on a bus by themselves unsupervised? It's not that bad, is it? Well, here's a 16-year-old doing what we all did when we were 16, probably going to a house party or going off to play video games with some friends. And out of nowhere, a guy stabs him in the chest and kills him. And that man is a 22-year-old man with apparent mental health issues who has no fixed address. This is way too much of a pattern. So I'm looking forward to what Scott has to say about it, and I want us to have a vigorous discussion about this today. It'll be on the roundtables, and um, I just think that by the time the people in positions of power get to their desks and their offices today, that this is paramount on their minds. So I was mentioning other things that happened um, mostly on Friday. Now, on Friday, there is this thing that governments do on Fridays, and it often works. You put out an announcement at like 4.35, and, you know, everybody who works at the House of Commons or at City Hall or at Queen's Park, the, the journalists have all gone home, and then they find out about it on Twitter, and they go, oh, no, okay. And they put an hour in writing it up, and it goes online. But everybody else is taking kids to hockey on Saturday and doing other stuff. And then on Sunday, another day goes by, and you enjoy some sunshine. And then Monday morning arrives, and most people are, yeah, well, that's three days old. 
No way. We're going to talk about it on the show today. Michael Warner, the doctor, reached out to me on the weekend and said, you got to know that this happened on Friday while you were away, and we need to talk about it. The uh, Ford government is ending something called the Physician and Hospital Services for Uninsured Persons Program. Now, that was brought, it's going to end at the end of this month. It's going to end on April 1st. Everything's happening on April 1st. The cost of beer is going up and uh, health care for the uninsured is coming off the table. A bunch of other things are going to be happening. Um, I think for the most part, the usual hijinks of April 1st have come off the table. I guess a few kids are going to put salt in the sugar bowl. But you really, you can't surprise anybody with anything anymore because everybody wakes up in the morning and knows it's April 1st. And so they see a headline, you know, gorillas to be appointed to run um, the education system. And they go, yeah, right. Well, okay, that one was a bit outrageous. Hey, they just made a dog the honorary mayor in Niagara Falls. So anything's possible. Yeah, but that's true, isn't it? Yeah, okay. Is, is, is it at least the mayor's dog or is it just some random dog? <laughs> random dog, I think. Oh, okay. So the Physician and Hospital Services for Uninsured Persons Program was brought in in March 2020. Uh, a year, you know, a month nobody ever wants to relive. I'm, I'm actually somewhat amazed at how much of the suffering and deprivations of the whole COVID lockdown we've kind of shut out of our minds. And then you are reminded of it and it gives you a shiver. But... It was brought in because if somebody arrived at a hospital suffering from COVID and they didn't have insurance, you weren't going to say, sorry, you better go home. You want to take the subway? Um, so they brought this around so that the government would cover the health bills of the uninsured. But that ends on April 1st. And like I said, going into the break at 530, um, I'm a bit mixed on this because this affects, for example, foreign students. Well, if you're a foreign student in Canada, then one of your expenses, in addition to tuition and shelter, should be buying insurance in case something goes wrong. That just, you know, you, you shouldn't be gambling. Now, it doesn't mean in extremis, you know, if we come up with a new regime and you end up in the hospital with a heart attack, that we should necessarily say no paddles for you. But there is a goodly portion of people affected by this change on the 1st of April who are just being irresponsible. Uh, Joe, you were saying that you bought insurance when you came to Canada? Yeah, I had to buy travel insurance and, you know, work off of that for two years until I became OHIP eligible after getting permanent residency. Right, because Joe's from the United States. How much did that cost? Do you remember? A uh, hundred bucks a month. Okay, so it's... It's no small change, but at the same time, um, it's a deliberate choice for some to go uninsured. Uh, Dr. Michael Warner is going to join us to talk about this. He's probably listening right now. I know he likes talk radio. So, Dr. Warner, you know, one of my lines of questions will be, but what about the people who have just neglected because they're trying to save on the money? Something else that happened on Friday was Marilee Fullerton resigning, not only as a cabinet minister, but she resigned. That's it. She's out. And bear in mind, we only had the election last June. Now, nobody seems to know um, what's been going on here. But um, there were some, when I was digging around on the weekend, there were some people who said Dr. Fullerton had not quite been herself of late. So she did say she was leaving. Uh, or actually a senior PC party source said the resignation was for personal reasons. But it does seem abrupt. 
And so I guess maybe down the road we'll find out what what went wrong. But it's it's unfortunate. I get the feeling she was fairly good at her file and she was handed some pretty flaming bag of poo files during her time at Queen's Park. So I was in Ottawa on Friday, as we like to say in the room where it happens, if you're a fan of the musical Hamilton. And uh, it was worth all of the wretchedness of racing <laughs> seven hours. It took me seven hours. If you're familiar with that drive, it should take four hours, 15 minutes, four hours, 30 minutes max. It took seven hours for me to get to Ottawa, but it was all worth it. And I'll talk about it in greater detail because I appreciate that, you know, they covered the speech on the rush Friday afternoon. But for me, it's it was just exciting to be in the room. And it was also very different, I think, from watching it on television or just hearing the highlight clips. But this moment was, it got the biggest reaction. It was the funniest little jibe that Joe Biden put out there. And I'll tell you what people have spent their weekend doing as a result of it. Our labor unions cross borders. So do our sports leagues, baseball, basketball, hockey. Listen to this, hockey. I have to say, I like your teams except the Leafs. Okay, so what have people spent their weekend doing? I mean, I, you know, a few obsessives. Going over the video to see which MPs stood up and cheered and which MPs stayed in their seats. And I spoke to Yvonne Baker, for example, after the speech. And he said, yeah, I wasn't going to stand up. I don't need my constituents seeing me cheering for a guy slagging the leaves. Um, I cursorily looked at the video and noticed that Carolyn Bennett, who's my MP, stayed in her seat. But it was it was a funny moment because, let's face it, everybody likes teasing the leaves. But Torontonians are proud of their team. So for them, it was... Uh, vexing to say the least. I also noticed as I was going over the video this morning, cause I was pulling the, um, the audio clip that you can see me in the shot. And I have one of those wide open mouth. Oh my God. I can't believe he just said that expressions on my face. So more on Joe Biden later on in the show, including, wow, what a funny moment. And it's funny how angry conservatives are about it. Well, liberals are sexist too. Listen, Joe Biden mentioned his gender parity cabinet and said he was inspired by Justin Trudeau's gender parity cabinet. And the liberals all jumped to their feet and the conservatives all sat on their hands. And Biden turns to them and says, you guys might want to stand up. And that it was not a good. <laughs> I say this as the guy who was the guest of the conservatives, and it's because I have friends in the caucus and that's fine. Uh, and I'm of no party or clique. Uh, but it wasn't a great day for Pierre Polyev and the Conservatives, to be honest. Subscribe today and always hear the latest episode of The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Okay, if you're having a hard time sorting out your TTC stabbings, we have the fatal, a 16-year-old named Gabriel, uh, who was stabbed to death Saturday at Kiel Subway Station. And then we have a man who was stabbed on board a Toronto Transit Commission bus. It was actually the Keel bus. It was at Keel and Donald. A man was taken to hospital with serious injuries. The suspect fled the scene. Uh, then we have police reporting that they did apprehend the man who was suspected of murdering the 16-year-old on Saturday. He's a 22-year-old with no fixed address. Uh, I was mentioning 
before, and here are the details. There is a poll. And, you know, polls, we talk about them from time to time. Sometimes I put them on the round table just to ask people if it represents some sort of a new direction or pulse. You know, when the conservatives in Ottawa pulled ahead of the liberals, is that even though we're probably, well, who knows where, how long we are from an election? Because a lot of people think Justin Trudeau is going to call one in order to get ahead of whatever the results of the Chinese meddling inquiry are, which would be interesting if you consider that the Chinese will meddle with that election as well. So call an election before we know the nature of the meddling so we can get the election out of the way and then we'll find out about the meddling in the two previous elections. Um, but some polls, you know, like one about this field of candidates about, I mean, this is anybody's race, right? We do not have necessarily a front runner. And of the half dozen or so people who have declared that they are running for mayor, almost all of them could win. You know, there's a couple of flakes who will run or have run in previous elections. We had 31 candidates in the last election cycle. And some of them are good and decent people with uh, amazing ideas, but they're just not going to win. So this new poll finds NDP MP Olivia Chow, who's not running, and former police chief Mark Saunders have the most support. And then they are followed by Josh Matlow. So um, this is a poll that was done for the Star. And the Star has reported that sources close to Chow say she is listening to calls that she give voters a high-profile progressive option. The poll found support amongst decided and leading. Actually, what are the numbers for? Here we go. Olivia Chow is the choice of 24% of decided and leaning voters, Saunders 22%, which is apparently a statistical tie, but still, they are considered to be the front runners. Now, it's worth noting that something like 37% of people don't know or haven't decided. I mean, I would put myself in that category. You can't ask me who I'm going to vote for. I, I haven't even seen the field isn't even complete and won't be until the end of this week. And then I want to watch debates. I want to listen to what people have to say. Then I want to decide, and this is just me. I'm never going to tell you how to vote. Uh, the poll found support amongst decided and leading, leaning voters for other potential candidates. Uh, Josh Matlow, 18%. Mitzi Hunter, 12%. Anna Bailao, 11%. Gil Peñalosa at 8%. And Brad Bradford, again, somebody who was not declared, at 5%. So that would be interesting because, you know, those two people being the front runners at this point means that we have a conservative candidate, Mark Saunders, and a possible candidature of a liberal slash NDP candidate. And that's kind of how things break out in this city. We don't have party politics at the municipal level, but the left always decides who's going to be their candidate. And there's a certain brain trust amongst conservatives. And I think that's what happened with Mark Saunders. You know, maybe one day he and I can talk on background and he'll tell me yay or nay. But I suspect that Mark Saunders didn't spend his time as the chief of police saying, one day I'm going to run for mayor. And I don't know, after he was defeated in the provincial election, he said, that's okay, I'm going to run for mayor. Uh, I think this is one of those cases where a uh, cabal of conservative uh, mucky mucks decided we need a candidate and Mark Saunders is the right guy. So who's going to go to Mark Saunders' house today and have coffee? It's 5.52. 
So amongst the other uh, issues that we were um, mentioning in the five things you need to know, you probably want to know, I don't know if there's that much intrigue in this, but it is intriguing. And that is the fact that the deal that was announced with much fanfare on Friday when Joe Biden was in Ottawa with Justin Trudeau is actually a year old. So, you know, it was represented, I think, not by them, but by everybody who was covering the announcement of the deal as something that had been in the works and involved in tense negotiations. And of course, what the deal is, is I'll never understand why this loophole existed in the first place, but um, you could, it, you know, people from the United States could not cross into Canada if they didn't have, you know, paperwork and, and uh, become refugees. They could not cross into Canada through established ports of entry. But if you just went to an opening that was unofficial, was not actually manned, although we ended up manning them, personing them uh, full time because they were a security issue. Um, if you went to Roxham Road, for example, you could just walk right in. Now, you'd be arrested and taken away, and then you'd end up in a hotel in Niagara Falls awaiting your uh, refugee hearing, but you'd still be able to get into Canada. So they wanted to close that loophole. And what we've learned, and Marika Walsh is going to join us to talk about this, what Marika Walsh reports in the Globe and Mail is this deal was made a year ago, but then it was handed off to the lawyers and the civil servants to figure out how it was going to work. And then they announced it on Friday, and the border closed at midnight on Friday. And the reason they did that was because if they'd said the border's going to close on the 1st of April, then, you know, busload after busload after busload would have been disgorging people at Roxham Road in, in the lead up to the closure. So they just announced it at the last minute. We'll find out what the pundits have to say about that as well. Scott Reed has worked in the Prime Minister's office, so he knows a thing or two about how deals are made and why some might be kept secret or delayed. That's The Breakfast Wrap. Thanks a lot for listening. My name is John Moore. I hope we'll talk again soon. You've been listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Don't forget to subscribe and get the latest episode from wherever you get your podcasts. And listen weekday mornings from 5 to 9 on News Talk 1010.